Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is Wednesday, May the 6th. Got a good show lined up for you. I'll be talking with Nanaimo-based entomologist and the senior environmental protection officer with the Ministry of Environment, Conrad Berube, about murder hornets, also known as the Asian giant hornet. There has been some buzz around these insects lately, and we'll get into just how concerned we should be here in B.C. about this invasive species, and we'll also get into Conrad's experience with dealing them directly and end off today's show while I'll be talking about the possibility of tracing apps for your smartphone when it comes to COVID-19 and the problems that the general population should probably have when it comes to privacy. That'll all be part of this week's edition of That's Whack Wednesday. But to kick off today's show, I am joined on the line by the mayor of Kamloops, Ken Christian. Mr. Mayor, how are you today? Very good. Good. All right, well, let's just uh, get into what happened at council here yesterday. One of the big things on the agenda, from my perspective, was this community child care planning program report uh, indicating, you know, there's more than 12,000 children 12 years or younger in the city and only about 3,300 licensed and registered spaces. Now, obviously, not every kid in that category that, uh, you know, is in that gap is going to need child care, but clearly there's a gap here, and it's something I know the city has been working on for quite a while. Can you give me a, a bit of a, a rundown here on sort of what the progress is right now? Yeah, the uh, initiative through the provincial government and the Union of BC Municipalities was to uh, study the extent of prob the problem in uh, municipalities, and so we took advantage of that grant and uh, engaged a uh, contractor and a committee to look at the issue. Uh, fully uh, 12,000 uh, people fall in that uh, age category, and uh, so we looked at that and compared that to the number of licensed uh, facilities and the location of those facilities within the a community. We uh, see some deficits in the Brocklehurst and West Side area. And so, uh, you know, if people were contemplating opening up uh, child care facilities, those would be two areas that could certainly be uh, the place to start. Uh, but there is, of course, uh, you know, 9,000 people that I can't access licensed child care. Uh, but those uh, children are not out in the cold. There are a lot of uh, licensed, not required child care arrangements within the city, as well as as uh, caregivers then within families or uh, parents that uh, stay home with those children. Uh, now, of course, uh, this report talks about how downtown and Valley View are the neighborhoods that do have enough childcare spaces right now for the, the kids that need them in those two areas. But everywhere else in the city seems to be just a little bit short. Uh, you know, when, when people are looking to open up shops and open up new daycare centers, uh, can the city do anything to sort of mandate where they are opening up and some sort of, uh, you know, rollout? Is there anything the city can do to make sure that it is getting the right child care spaces into the right areas of the city. Right, and, and you know, it's a bit of a transient problem, Jeff, because kids grow out of the need for child care as they progress through the school system. So, uh, you know, you need to be conscious of that fact. But, yeah, there are things the city can do, and, and I think uh, the second phase of this report will uh, have our uh, staff bring forward a number of recommendations in terms of uh, things like expedited uh, zoning approval and those kinds of things that uh, will help. Uh, the uh, issue related to the licensing 
licensing of child care facilities remains with the health authority and uh, you know they have child care licensing officers that will be uh, doing that work but uh, we have a part to play and we want to make sure that there's no impediments uh, in terms of establishing daycares within our community. All right, I did want to ask, there was a line that seems to have been getting a lot of attention, at least on our uh, social media channels from you, that you were basically saying that free downtown parking is not working right now. Can you maybe explain a little bit what you mean by that? Yeah, so uh, originally we uh, took our uh, parking meters offline uh, and uh, that uh, meant that the downtown parking was free. Uh, so immediately uh, those uh, workers who are in businesses that were open started parking on the street. And uh, that uh, in turn created a problem for the customers of those business, people that were trying to access the bank, people who were going to restaurants that were operating pickup, uh, uh, takeout services sort of thing. So We've tried to institute 15-minute drop-off and, and pick-up zones and that kind of thing, but without monitoring how long people are there, it's difficult to patrol. So, you know, we're talking to the uh, Downtown Business Association and uh, looking for their recommendation uh, about what we might do about this. But uh, right now, uh, employees are taking up all those spots and businesses that are trying to reopen really don't have uh, places for their potential customers to park. Um, and, and I guess, you know, we're going to be hearing from the Premier here later on this afternoon about sort of what the plan will be for the, the province to start seeing some reopening of our economy. I guess, how dependent is, you know, whatever is announced today going to be on, you know, looking at things like reinstating paid parking in places like downtown? Are you going to be sort of really monitoring, I guess, what is said to see how you can start to start taking those steps to reimplement, you know, some realm of normalcy here in, in, in Kamloops? Well, remember, uh, British Columbia didn't shut those businesses down. Uh, most of them closed because of the fact that they couldn't uh, get the physical distancing requirements. Uh, their employees were concerned, or the biggest reason was there was no customers. So, uh, you know, they have been able to be opened, and some of them have gift shops and things like that. I've seen uh, starting to reopen downtown uh, over the last week or so. So I don't expect a big announcement there in terms of the impact uh, from the premium. The real impact is when customers return. That will dictate when businesses uh, find it profitable to reopen. So, you know, those kinds of things uh, are going to be predicated by access to parking, access to transit, and those kinds of things as we start to uh, open up in a ma more measured way. But this would probably be something that would be pretty easy to just sort of flip a switch and say, okay, we're, we're charging for parking once again. Is that uh, a pretty simple process? I mean, I'm sure you'd want to give a couple of days notice, but uh, it sounds like something that could be done pretty quickly. Yeah, we could have it uh, up and running, uh, you know, certainly within a week and, and uh, going. We need to uh, uh, maintain all of our kiosks and, and make sure that they're ready to operate. And people need to be conscious about uh, disinfecting the key keypads on kiosks and that sort of thing, just as they are about uh, credit card machines. All right. Uh, I also want to ask you a little bit about this uh, proposal that was brought forward by Councillor Dennis Walsh, talking about allowing foot traffic through parts of downtown to enable storefronts to start setting up sites. So I'm sure he was looking at Victoria Street specifically, but of course that could be open to discussion. Um, you know, just what are your thoughts on the idea? To me, it sounds like something that, uh, you know, could potentially be uh, something really good for customers as we want to go into shops a little bit more frequently, hopefully in the not too distant future. And this might be a way to make sure we can keep those physical distancing requirements while still being able to do a little shopping. Yeah, you know, that's an idea that has uh, been circulating around, an idea that's very popular in Europe, that kind of patio cafe experience. 
Uh, but a lot of that will be predicated by the capacity that is allowed by the health authority when restaurants reopen. And remember, it's not just about being outside. It's about, uh, you know, how do you have uh, menus handled by different customers? How do you have wait staff serve different tables? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of complexity to the opening of restaurants and, and bars, but to the extent that we could uh, provide additional outdoor space and, and create a better ambience uh, for that to happen, I think is a good idea. But remember, uh, Camelops has uh, four seasons, and uh, this is perhaps just a summertime solution. Yeah. For sure. That, uh, yeah, I don't know how uh, excited I would be to be walking through downtown in the middle of winter with the wind coming at me at 50K an hour, but uh, definitely something I think could be useful for the summer. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, Ken. Uh, public meetings, I know um, you know there's been some talk about potentially starting to allow some more public process when it comes to uh, municipal councils and being allowed to sort of meet with the public a little bit. There have been four public hearings that have been canceled so far. Um, you know, just what is the situation in terms of people wanting to come before council and, and how important do you think it is to get that process back up and running. You know, I think it's very important, and, and uh, you know, there hasn't been that much of a demand. We had a couple of delegations electronically at our last meeting. Uh, the real issue will be public hearings, and, and uh, for the most part, public hearings are kind of benign affairs with nobody in attendance, but there are those public hearings that are quite contentious, and we have uh, repeatedly filled the uh, Valley First Lounge at the Sandman Center with, uh, with uh, members of the public. So as we approach those more contentious uh, uh, public hearings, we're going to have to have a strategy to allow the public to uh, be engaged in that process. So our staff are working uh, on that, uh, both in our development and engineering services area, as well as our corporate officer. And, uh, you know, I think we have about 15 public hearings now that have been delayed. So we're going to certainly put the easy ones out there first and uh, see if we have a system that will work. And then the more contentious ones will be later in the uh, spring. Well, it sounds like you'll probably have some longer Tuesdays uh, come the springtime, so we'll uh, look forward to talking about that then. But uh, until then, thanks so much for doing this uh, with me now. Really appreciate your time, Ken. Thank you, Jeff. That was Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Yeah, so I'm sure there are some people out there who've been looking to get out in front of council. I mean, the mayor says, you know, it hasn't been overwhelmed with any requests to do that, but, uh, you know, public process is important, and I'm sure there are some people who uh, are ready to uh, make their cases for whatever issues that are being brought up uh, on an individual basis and, and have those addressed by council. So hopefully we can start to see those uh, types of situations resolved sooner than later. Uh, we'll all just have to wait and see what happens this afternoon, and maybe we'll uh, get some more movement on, on when those types of things can happen. Well, let's take a quick break, and coming up next, well, I'm going to be talking about murder hornets. So stick around, and uh, Jeff Andrea Show will be back in just a little bit. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thanks so much for being with me here on Wednesday, May 6th. An invasive hornet is waking up for spring, and the bee-eating predator could possibly be buzzing around B.C. soon. It's the Asian giant hornet, or murder hornet as it has since been dubbed i'm joined now by beekeeper and entomologist in nanaimo and he's also the senior environmental protection officer with the ministry of environment conrad verube to talk a little bit more about this invasive species conrad thank you so much for taking the time 
No problem. So let me just start by asking, okay, so the murder hornet, right, sounds terrifying, and I have read you personally on record calling it the honeybee murder hornet as potentially being a more appropriate name. Um, but just what is the threat right now of these bee killers in British Columbia? Is it pretty severe? Uh, well, it, it could be. Um, <clears throat> it is a significant uh, mortality factor to uh, honeybee colonies uh, in its in the native range of the uh, Vespa mandarinia, the Asian giant hornet, uh, as is more appropriately uh, known. <laughs> and uh, the um, uh, beekeepers there have not found any any foolproof solutions and, and lose a significant portion of their of their bees uh, to the to the giant to the giant hornets. Um, it's uh, not uh, a, a huge public health risk. Uh, you know, as many as many people are likely going to have fatal encounters with honeybees as with uh, Asian giant hornets. So it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty you know up there or down there with lightning <laughs> so well that's uh that's calming i mean just given the the name that it's been given right it sounds probably a lot scarier than it really is although i see the pictures and they're, they're pretty scary looking insects as well um but okay so i saw that uh, you know these were found sort of in the nanaimo area right and you were a part of uh, finding this first nest or, or part of exploring that first nest uh, you know late late fall or sorry late late summer early fall uh just this past year um so, I mean, is is that sort of just the first instinct when you see them that they're here and now you kind of got to get a feel of just how widespread they are? I mean, do you, do you have any way of finding out just how far this thing has traveled, uh, you know, over the course of, I mean, I guess it hasn't been here for very long. So do, do you know just how, how widespread these are in British Columbia right now? Well, that's 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 definitely where the where the thrust of current monitoring efforts are are, are trying to determine. Um, the uh, provincial apiculturalist Paul Van Westendorp uh, is uh, cooperating with his counterparts with the Washington State Department of Agriculture and with uh, the provincial bee clubs across the province to uh, to monitor for the for the hornet. Uh, primarily uh, in the Nanaimo area, uh, where the local bee club has distributed bottle traps to uh, and uh, some sticky traps to all of its uh, members, and uh, Paul's efforts are concentrated primarily uh, uh, along Mile Zero um, between Surrey and uh, White Rock, where. Uh, a specimen was uh, discovered in November uh, in the same way that specimens were uh, discovered in the Blaine area of Washington State, uh, where a evidence of a, of a, of a, of a, kill, of a hive killed uh, by, in a manner that is consistent with an attack, mm -hmm. with a mass attack by the hornets was, was discovered where uh, basically piles of bee corpses uh, were found in in front of in front of a uh, a dead dead hive which would be consistent with a with a hornet hornet mass attack so i mean do you do you know like how easily this could could potentially spread beyond uh, you know that Nanaimo area the island area right now i mean uh, is it 
a real threat to, to cross over into into the mainland and, and could it like I'm talking to you from Kamloops I guess that, like is there yeah, a possibility that, it could end big, up here that it, it, it's a gigantic question mark um, you know no no one knows if if the there, there's been no evidence so far this spring that the hornets uh, survived survived the winter uh, they it, the winters that they uh, generally encounter in their native range include areas which have winter which have winter temperatures uh, of, of durations uh, that are you know similar if not exceeding those in British Columbia uh, at least the, the, the southern part of British Columbia so uh, nobody knows that's why we're that's why we're doing monitoring to, to uh, attempt to find uh, as I heard Paul refer to it yesterday uh, a needle in a haystack uh, mm-hmm. we, we've got uh, you know there's been a couple of couple of catches and uh, the nest here in Nanaimo and uh, we're trying to find out if they're still here now, I know you've had uh, an encounter with them yourself, so I wanted to ask a little bit about that while I have you, because, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a pretty, uh, not a great experience, if you will. Uh, you know, you I saw you got stung at least the seven times, I believe it was, when you were uh, doing this work in September. I mean, can you maybe just describe what that feels like for me? Uh, yeah, it was it was an experience, and it was one that I would definitely repeat, even if I needed to um, uh, get stung more. <laughs> uh, each each of the stings was uh, so I received four stings initially when I approached the nest and attempted to uh, vacuum the uh, some hornet specimens up in a uh, hand vacuum that I didn't realize, never having encountered this species before. Uh, was was too small for the task, uh, and uh, my frustrated efforts uh, frustrated the hornets uh, equally, and they took out their their frustrations on by 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 stinging me um, ac- across my legs through two pair of pants that were stretched tight across my thighs as I had squatted down to uh, approach the entrance of the subterranean nest, and uh, uh, then the other. Uh, I noticed, you know, the the uh, frankly the other stings uh, in the heat of in the heat of battle and uh, <laughs> uh, extracting uh, extracting the, the the nest using carbon dioxide and just removing them by hand uh, and then preserving the specimens in alcohol. Um, I really didn't even feel the other three stings that I received um, and didn't notice them until uh, a day later when I noticed that there were a couple of welts and swellings, uh, minor swelling around my ankles. Uh, but um, yeah, so they, you know, the first four stings, uh, I describe it as having uh, red hot thumbtacks driven into your flesh. Uh, so it uh, it uh, wasn't wasn't pleasant, but it was it was worth the effort to, to to get the nest out. And it's you know it, it's they're really quite admirable and formidable insects. They're beautiful insects. It's just too bad that they represent a a, uh, a threat to the to the beekeeping industry. Mm-hmm. And and we know how important the beekeeping industry is just to our uh, agriculture, uh, you know, across exactly. the board, right? Exactly, um, yes. So uh, did you have to do anything, uh, you know, after you did get stung? Is there any process to take care of it? Or, I mean, is it just sort of hopefully they, they heal up quickly? Is that how it works? Uh, well, for myself, I, you know, I... I uh, a couple of decades
years ago, uh, I spent a summer collecting uh, yellow jacket nests commercially for the preparation of uh, purified pharm pharmaceutical serum for de as a desensitization uh, treatment. Uh, so I had re I've removed a number of different species of yellow jackets and been stung many, many times. So I suspect that my, my immune system is still carrying the antibody uh, protection uh, for those venoms and there may be some cross protection. So uh, I, you know, my, my reaction might have been less severe than somebody else's might be and everybody's body chemistry is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the, only, the only treatment that I took was uh, 400 milligrams of ibuprofen so that I could, I took it about six hours post sting because uh, you know, my legs were a bit achy and uh, the next day uh, I had that uh, throbbing muscular ache in my legs similar to that uh, that you, you get when you have the, a bad flu. Uh, so uh, going up and down the stairs was quite painful for about 24 hours. But uh, basically after that, yeah, I still have in uh, 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 the 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 sting uh, mechanism on the on the hornet is about a quarter of an inch long, and delivers a, a, a shot of venom that was uh, large enough that um, uh, in two spots where the sting actually drew blood through my two pair of pants, uh, eventually went went necrotic, and I got a little basically uh, little little lentil sized. Uh, tissue on each of my legs uh, basically kind of went dead <laughs> so uh, I still have a bit of a scar well that doesn't uh, that doesn't sound fun at all I'm gonna be honest but uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun but it was you know it was you know it's uh, all in the name worth, of science it was right? worth the dues <laughs> dues paid for an interesting experience <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I, I thank, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me about this. I guess I'll get you out of here on this, Conrad. I guess just what, what is your, your level of concern right now? It is, is it safe to say, and I, this is me just extrapolating from what you've said so far, the threat level seems, you know, it's not non-existent, but it's not uh, it's not anywhere near or less some sort of red, red alert levels or anything like that. Yeah, I'd say we're definitely uh, in the yellow alert or green alert area if there is such a thing where yeah. we're still trying to figure out if, if they're even here at all. Perfect. So. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. I hope it's not here because, uh, you know, I want to keep getting honey and have them uh, those bees, uh, you know, pollinating our crops and all that fun stuff. So hopefully it's not an issue, but uh, glad to see people like you are working on it. So thank you so much yeah, for doing well, thanks, this. Thanks for your interest, Jeff, and I would encourage people to keep calm and keep bees. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks again, and, and have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. Take care. That was Conrad Barubi, entomologist in Nanaimo and the Senior Environmental Protection Officer with the Ministry of Environment. Now, uh, when I talked to him earlier, he had asked that uh, maybe I throw out a little project for people to do at home here for potentially, I guess, some, some beekeepers, those who might have an interest in bees. It's called the Kenya, as in the country, Kenya Top Bar Beehive. It's a single-story frameless beehive in which combs hang from removable bars. Uh, the bars form a continuous roof over the comb. Uh, um, and in most current hives, it allows space for bees to move up or down between the boxes. It's a fairly simple construction project, and it looks like it could be a, potentially a fun thing to do if you're, you know, stuck in isolation. You got some extra lumber laying around. Uh, maybe we can even some, inspire some new and young beekeepers here. I mean, we know how important bees are to really life in general, right? They pollinate flowers and food, and, you know, they, they help... Uh, 
bring us honey, which of course, uh, you know, is always a nice treat. Uh, they, they are, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the threat to honeybees in our lifetime, right? It's been well documented. So it is an idea for a fun project, although you can, you can't be like me if you want to go and do this and be scared of bugs and insects. If, uh, you know, it's an irrational fear that I have, but it is real. And I will tell you that uh, one time I was actually driving, um, I found a spider on my shoulder Ended up turning left a little harder than I probably should have. Well, definitely harder than I should have. Smashed my car into a park truck. Total write-off. So I won't be building one of these hives, but I do think it's a great idea. But yeah, if you're arachnophobic or something along those lines, maybe uh, maybe not the best thing. But it's called the Kenya Top Bar Beehive. Like I said, it looks like a pretty simple construction project and uh, could be a good one to uh, put in your backyard if you need some bees or maybe you're just a gardener and you want to get some flowers pollinated. Well, maybe you can attract some bees by building one of these hives. All right, well, let's take take a quick break here. When I come back, I'll be talking a little bit about tracing apps. Yeah, tracing applications when it comes to COVID-19 for your smartphones. It's something that has been uh, thrown around quite a bit about the idea of how it could work. We see other countries starting to take up the mantle and, and start putting them into place. Uh, what should our concern be? I mean, privacy is clearly an issue when we're talking about anything with regards to technology. So stay tuned. The Jeff Andrea Show will return shortly, and it'll be a time for a new edition of That's Whack Wednesday. A white heart is a symbol commonly used to convey hope, pure... Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. It is May the 6th. Wednesday, hump day, if you will, it all goes downhill from here, both in the week and on this show. It's time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. So today I wanted to deal with the issue of tracing apps. Yeah, there has been a lot of talk about using smartphone apps to start tracing cases of COVID-19 and the ability to find out, you know, who has been in contact with who. Now, it makes sense, you know, as a way to use technology to our advantage, but with it, there are a number of concerns. And the first issue at hand really is, as Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry stated yesterday, it's finding the right app that will actually do the trick. Everybody um, and and their dog has an app out right now. Um, what we are trying to do and what we have been doing, and I've been working with my colleagues across the country, is to, to find ones that might help us with um, the issues that we have in, um, in in our contact tracing. And we have been trialing some apps um, uh, to assist in that, particularly to assist in when we identify a case and we identify contacts, um, being able to connect with them and, and um, use some of the information to help find out where they have been and who they've been in contact with. Now, Dr. Bonnie Henry was basically being a little bit tentative about the idea of actually moving ahead with a tracing app of any shape or form right now, but that it is pretty imperative that if the province were to go forward with some type of app, that it finds the right one. We've been looking into this a lot. You know, we need to find the right um, IT support for the work that we're doing that doesn't um, create more problems than it solves. Yeah, just that fact alone that there are so many different possible options out there for apps and finding the right one, um, you know, the one that won't create more problems than it solves, as Henry just said there. I mean, uh, that's a bit of pretty difficult decision. And, uh, you know, to me, there's one word for that. What? 
Yeah, now I spoke last week with the president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association, Mike Larson, and he spoke to me about the privacy issues that surround these applications. It seems to be that one of the vehicles that is used to kind of push towards that normalcy is the idea of an exchange of privacy, an exchange of privacy through surveillance uh, for increased sociability, so for increased ability to go about. So we say we'll re reduce some of the restrictions around COVID, you can go out a bit more, but, but here's the trade-off. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a dangerous trade-off. Yeah, well, uh, I would say just that statement alone, trading our rights to privacy in order to be able to do a little bit more activity while it's a scary proposition. Or maybe there's another word for that. Whack. Yeah, Larson went on to say that this is still uh, an idea, you know, that's pretty out there. Some of this still, though, I think, to my mind, is still in the, in the realm of science fiction. In the sense that, you know, we don't have a good model of uh, a process that, that really works perfectly, that is uh, really effective. And again, it requires things like people to buy into its use. It requires people to actually have phones that can be used. There's lots of technical issues with this, too, in addition to the privacy issues. Yeah, so when he says it that way, well, it makes me think, you know, of that whole big brother situation he's always watching and it already feels like you know that's kind of the era we live in right now we see things like facial recognition technology your phone has location settings where you can basically track the movement of anybody and everybody if you absolutely need to it's it's a scary place sometimes but it is the world we live in and i think we should be all a little bit concerned about the idea of trading our personal privacy for the right to go to restaurants go to bars go shopping hit up the gym uh, fly on planes whatever people are looking to do would you trade your right to privacy to do those things. I know I personally am of the mindset, you know, that if you don't do anything wrong, then why does it matter? But that's a very slippery slope and probably not somewhere that you would want to go. It's not a road that you want to go down, right? Trading your privacy in order to be able to do things. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's not the Canada that I uh, think that we want to live in. So the idea of these tracing apps, you know, I think it is definitely worth discussing, especially if it can uh, help uh, in terms of being able to locate cases of COVID-19 and then be able to figure out who people have been in contact with. It's something that I think we're going to have to deal with for a very long time, right? Uh, we're going to be hearing a little bit about how the economy is going to start to reopen here soon. And with that in mind, I mean, it's going to be imperative that uh, if there is a confirmed case of COVID-19, that you know who that person has been in contact with. And as we spread our social circles, we've heard our prov provincial health authorities say this quite a bit, that, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that they're going to have to pay a lot of attention to. That's going to be how we can avoid, uh, well, not maybe not avoid a second wave, but uh, keep it contained, is knowing who has been in contact with who. So these tracing apps, great idea. Sounds like it might simplify the process, but uh, you have to ask yourself whether it is worth it, or maybe you think the whole concept is... It's wicked, 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 yeah, this has been That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. All right. Well, on that happy note, it's about time for me to wrap things up here. So uh, I'll just throw this out there. If you got any burning questions, have a subject maybe you want to hear me talk a little bit more about, just want to say hi, that's fine too. Don't hesitate to give me an email, jandreas at stingray.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas, and I'll be more than happy to take your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, I'm here for it all. I like it all. So please reach out. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.